0: You're listening to ReachMD, and this is COVID-19 on the front lines. The following episode has been brought to you by the American College of Chest Physicians. Chest is an
1: internationally trusted source for clinical updates and advancing patient care across the landscape of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. With clinician members at the center of this pandemic, we are closely monitoring COVID-19 and regularly making resources available to help you navigate the challenges of this public health crisis.
0: Hi everyone, this is Steve Simpson, the president-elect of CHEST. And we're here with a special visitor this afternoon who has an interesting story to tell us. Uh, This is a doctor um, somewhere in the United States I don't want to say what town or what part of the United States, nor what hospital. And you will notice that I will refer to our doctor just as doctor, because we are hoping to keep everyone anonymous, our patients, our doctors, our town, and so forth. But our doctor has an interesting story to tell us about what happened in her intensive care unit. And so, Doctor, will you go ahead and tell us uh, what you saw?
1: Um, Yeah, so uh, I came on shift, uh, and at that point in time, I was getting turnover from uh, the the overnight uh, coverage. And giving the full sign out of a patient, I I noticed that there was a patient that had um, admission for a, a possible COPD exacerbation or a pneumonia, And during the workup, they had done a flu, which was negative. They'd done an RSV panel, which was negative. They'd done a procalcitonin, which was normal. Um, And so I asked that particular uh, turnover uh, provider if the patient had been put on contact precautions and if COVID had been uh, suspected. Uh, And unfortunately, it turns out that it had not been suspected. And so digging further into the story, the, the patient had initially actually presented about seven days prior uh, to me seeing him with a fever, did not meet any CDC criteria for um, evaluation, Uh, had a fever, um, didn't have any real significant cough, but had no travel history, no known uh, COVID contact, nothing like that. So he was giving supportive care and and sent on his way home. He'd come back about three days before I had seen him, complained of more shortness of breath, more cough and a COPD exacerbation. Uh, At that time, he was put on... Um, BiPAP actually in the emergency department. Again, no contact precautions had been taken. Um, So he'd been placed on BiPAP for a brief period of time and was actually able to be de-escalated, but only to high-flow nasal cannula. So he briefly went up to the uh, general medical ward for probably about two to three hours um, on high-flow nasal cannula, started to have a little bit more shortness of breath, so he was then transferred from that floor over to our intensive care unit. He had been in our intensive care unit for about two days prior to me seeing him, and about 12 hours of that was on high flow nasal cannula, and about 12 to 14 hours of that was on, on BiPAP. Uh, and then eventually he was intubated, actually the evening before I arrived on shift.
0: Okay, uh, and, and let me ask you, in the area before COVID-19, does this seem like this would have been uh, a standard state of affairs and and that uh, things would have been business as usual?
1: Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. Before COVID-19, there would have been no indication to put this gentleman on any sort of precautions. Um, and for a, COP, a, a patient with severe COPD, he had a his uh, horrible emphysema, uh, really worse on one side than the left, but bilaterally, that would have been completely standard of care to, to give a trial of non-invasive prior to, to intubation. So that would have been well within standard of care.
0: Yeah. So, so it would have been basically business as usual. Yeah. So, so you asked, had, he been, uh, had the patient been ruled out for COVID-19? And so then when you heard no, can you tell us what did you do and, and what did you think about that?
1: Uh, Yes. So my initial thought was, oh, no, Um, because it's a small community hospital. And so the concern is really in small or large community hospitals right now, staffing is a a significant concern uh, Mm -hmm. moving forward. And so there was a potential for multiple exposures throughout pretty much every uh, different level of his care. Um, At that point, I initially uh, or immediately put him on full uh, covid uh, 19 contact precautions. I did not move him to a negative pressure room because he was already intubated, uh, and there was really no plan to break the, uh, ventilator circuit. So there was really no benefit to moving him to a negative pressure room at that time. Um, so, and he was on multiple drips and infusions because he had pretty severe ARDS by the time that I arrived, uh, arrived on, on shift. Um, so he was on full, full contact precautions. I then, uh, talked to our nursing staff. Uh, who had a very similar reaction to me, especially since uh, that particular nurse had been working the day before as well and had multiple exposures uh, to that particular patient. Um, but we all kind of took it in stride and took the appropriate cautions moving forward. Um, everyone was sort of measuring their temperature and uh, doing sort of a self-symptom check throughout the day, uh, all my nursing staff was. Mm, um perfect. Perfect. Yeah, and then and then we uh contacted the uh, hospital uh infectious uh control officer and then ultimately the health department to get testing moved forward.
0: Fantastic. And was the test positive? Uh
1: yes, uh so the health department called me shortly shortly after we had contacted uh, him. Uh the patient met criteria not only for testing but for front of the line testing and uh we got our result back within 9 hours that he was in fact positive for COVID-19.
0: Uh, and so you 've kind of touched on that the uh, you and the nurses around had begun to to self monitor were there any other implications once it came back positive to the hospital
1: yeah absolutely so um the there there are multiple implications so again it's a it 's a smaller hospital, so the i c u was actually quite small um and he had been in the i c u for approximately three days and essentially had had face-to-face contact with about 50% of the ICU nurses, wow. uh, maybe maybe a little bit more. Um, there was a potential exposure uh, on the uh, medicine ward. The charge nurse that had been taking care of him the night before had actually called out sick that, that particular day. Uh, so that was a big concern. I, I'm not sure of her status moving forward. Um, but that was a potential exposure, the ER staff exposures. And and it's a huge deal because, you know, the standard standard line right now is um those providers or those potential contacts have to go into to home quarantine for fourteen days. And so it it took out a, a substantial portion of the the staff uh for, for fourteen days moving forward, including the uh the physician that I was covering for that weekend um was supposed to be on shift starting again on Monday. And so you're Trying to find uh, sort of semi semi emergent coverage uh, to to take those wow. shifts.
0: Wow! And it, so it sounds like you yourself, when you had the thought, went ahead and began to use uh, personal protective gear, right? Uh,
1: yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. So I uh, ironically um, had gotten a phone call from the health department. I think it was uh, yesterday or the day before, telling me that I had had contact, and I essentially told them I'm pretty much the only one that had contact that is okay because i was appropriately ppe from from start to finish
0: wow amazing um and so your hospital is following the standard guidelines it sounds like of quarantining people with with high risk exposures like this um have have any of those people subsequently become ill
1: um you know as i said before the the one charge nurse uh was ill i'm not sure uh, what the testing showed on that um and She had been ill with a sort of a cold URI prior to that was getting better and then had that exposure and and worsened again. Um, The physician was actually initially cleared to come back to work early based on uh, negative testing, um, but is wearing a, you know, a mask during all shifts uh, and having regular temperature checks during shifts uh, in order to, again, maintain staffing as much as we can. So he was allowed to come back slightly early, um, but, but is still under sort of uh, restrictions uh, until the 14 day period is up.
0: Right. Do you know of any implications in the community such as patients family, patients friends, etc. Or has Yeah, that...
1: so so there was a there's quite a bit of implications. Um so his wife Amelia uh, was on quarantine uh and come to find out that she actually had been uh symptomatic. Uh, she had not divulged that until uh you know the day after. Wow. Um, so she was mildly symptomatic, um, and then in terms of uh, in terms of public health things for this particular patient, there's huge implications. So his wife told me that he had gone to the dentist the day before he was admitted, so well within that symptomatic period, he was at the dentist and and with the exposures there. Um, wow. And uh, when we told his wife initially that we were testing him for COVID-19, you know, she responded with. That's fine, but I know he doesn't have it. He hasn't been anywhere yeah. um, and okay. so this was um one of the first uh community transmissions uh in our in our area
0: wow okay um so once you made the diagnosis did it, did that alter any of the care that was provided for him? Did it change anything that that you needed to do or were doing for him?
1: Uh, it changed uh, some things uh, minimally. So, you know, he was on pretty significant vent management due to his ARDS. He was already paralyzed from his ARDS. Um, he actually was not that difficult to oxygenate despite the severity of his ARDS. His SATs looked okay. His PAO2 looked okay, which was another thing that sort of raised my thought of, how huh, this is not your typical sort of bacterial sepsis or things like that, or, you know, bacterial ARDS. Right. Um, because he was initially pretty pretty easy to oxygenate and ventilate, despite the severity of his lung disease. Um, so so the vent management didn't change. Uh, when I was on all weekend, he was not on any vasopressors at all. That that didn't change. Um, you know, the big change is that we we started him on uh, um, Plaquenil and Hydroxychloroquine uh, okay. just because there's some data that that might be helpful. <laughs> Um, and then I put in for the uh, compassionate use uh, to get some remdes- um, remdesivir, and that was approved. Um, but there's a quite a delay to get that to your patients.
0: I see. Um, fascinating. Does he remain on the ventilator now? Uh,
1: unfortunately, I got uh, news a couple days ago that he uh, he became unable to oxygenate and uh, and then um. passed away.
0: Break, break i'm very sorry to hear that i'm 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 sorry um, you, any advice you have for um other doctors nurses caregivers in in hospitals in the United States based on your experience
1: yeah so i i changed you know a couple of things uh based on this case so you know, one of the things that uh, jumped out at me was that when he came back with the respiratory failure, he was afebrile that entire time. He had no fevers. The fevers had completely resolved. Um, And so my index of suspicion uh, for COVID-19 now goes up for somebody who has any fever or any respiratory symptoms, period. Um, So I now, uh, in terms of my RTs, basically have uh, shut down nebulizers as much as possible. Um, And if they have to give any patient a nebulizer, even one deemed to be low risk for COVID-19, we're still performing full PPE um, just for the potential of aerosolizing that. Um, Same thing goes for if a patient needs to be put on BiPAP or high flow nasal cannula, those patients we're putting into a negative pressure room. Again, even if they're deemed low risk based on the CDC criteria, because um, my experience for this has shown that there is significant community spread even if we don't know it. because testing has been so so slow, um, it's hard to know really the, the true extent of the disease. So um, my index of suspicion is much higher. Uh, and if a patient comes into the emergency room with any symptom of any respiratory symptom whatsoever, or any fever that doesn't have an obvious source, I'm slapping a mask on them uh, pretty much through the gate in order to make sure that my staff are protected. Um, yeah. moving forward.
0: Great idea. Is a, is this causing any kind of uh, strain in your hospital. There's obviously more people going into isolation than were previously, I would suspect. Is that right? Uh,
1: Yeah, there is definitely more people in isolation. There was uh, initially some pushback uh, from the ER staff. Uh, They were not happy about losing their nebulizers. Um,
0: Uh But they
1: uh, encountered an afebrile COVID-19 patient, I I believe, the following day, and immediately apologized and said they understand why I'm doing what I'm doing now. so so there was initially some pushback because it is a, it's a change in how we do business. Um the pushback I got from the ER in terms of the nebulizers was that we're not following standard of care. And my response is in this pandemic there is no standard of care. We got to figure out what the new normal is facing this disease. Yes. Um so so that's how we move forward.
0: Well, Doctor, I, I want to say two things. One is that you are and have been a hero to your hospital. You you've done a lot of good just for the people that are going to present there, uh, and it, it's fantastic that you've you have done that. And, and two, you've taught us all a lesson, I think, in being hyper vigilant. Uh, it's easy. I, I'm wondering, maybe maybe this occurs to you. I don't know if you ever uh, think, oh, I need to stop by the store on the way home from work, and then you find yourself home in your driveway or your garage going, hey, I forgot to stop by the store. It's, uh, it's almost like that. We get automatic. We get very good at what we're doing, and we just do it automatically and sometimes uh, forget uh, what's what's going on and what it is that we need to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, that there is something, too, that this this particular patient had a lot of warning signs that it was potentially COVID-19. He came in lymphopenic. His LFTs were bumped slightly. Um, and, you know, if you read that Wuhan, China study, he fit in perfectly with the sort of typical presentation of these COVID-19 patients. Um, but I do think it was, uh, you know, the CT scan didn't look typical because his underlying lung disease was so severe. Oh, um, yeah. And you, you just assume, oh, this is just another COPD of the 400 mm-hmm. bad COD, COPD patients I see a year, and we just treat them the same way. I definitely think um, the fact that I didn't start on that case and came in later was one of the big things that let me kind of look at it with fresh eyes as opposed to going down that pathway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is, yeah, we talk a lot about continuity of care, but it is an important thing, too, to have fresh eyes from time to time. Um, well, doctor, I, I want to say thank you very much for sharing your experience with us. And we're going to share your experience with uh, the rest of the United States and, in fact, the whole world, because anyone who, who uh, has a computer with a web browser can get to this um but we thank you for providing us with with a lesson and helping us to uh up our vigilance and be aware that that at any town any place this sort of thing can happen and that we need to be aware that uh, covid is uh still on the rise
1: uh yeah i appreciate anything anything i can do to to try to uh, keep providers safe uh in the the difficult months ahead of us is
0: essential. Well, uh, we, we we appreciate that, and as uh, president-elect of Chess, I can say if you're not a Chess member yet, we'd sure love to have you. So, <laughs> so I never asked if you are a Chess member or not, but we would love love it if you are. Yes,
1: sir, I uh, I am in fact a Chess member, so
0: have no fear. <laughs> Thank you. So, for all of our Chess members, keep your eyes open this sort of thing can happen in any town, anywhere in the United States, and and uh, we don't want you to have to uh, have unnecessary exposures. So for, for CHEST and for this podcast, this is Steve Simpson again, and we will perhaps be speaking again. Thank you, doctor.
1: For the latest CHEST updates, guidelines, expert advice, clinical resources, and more, we invite you to visit our COVID-19 webpage at chestnet.org. Thank you for your service, and please stay well.